Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Public health precautions and freedom of religion look like they're on a collision course in the Golden State. More than 1,200 California pastors are vowing to hold religious services on May 31st, Pentecost Sunday. That would be in defiance of a state moratorium on religious services put into place to halt the spread of the coronavirus. This all comes as the U.S. Justice Department has sent a letter to Governor Gavin Newsom, saying the state is placing undue restrictions on houses of worship compared to stores and restaurants that have started to reopen under social distancing guidelines. What does the shutdown of houses of worship look like from one person at the pulpit? I talked about these issues with Pastor Robert Chavez of Victory Outreach Church in Long Beach. I believe we need to get the churches back open following the guidelines of CDC. Because I believe we are an essential, you know, I mean, as far as you see people are having emotional breakdowns, you know, you're starting to see people, you know, having uh, anxiety, people even getting violent. And so you're starting to see rage come in. And you think houses of worship could help uh, alleviate some oh, of that? Definitely, definitely. We, we, like I said, we minister not only to the, to the spirit of a man, we minister to his soul. And so I believe that, you know, we do need to open up the churches and there needs to be a solution. I don't think the governor has given the churches a plan. He's talked to uh, uh, many people about retail, how to open up, you know, recreational parks and beaches and whatnot. But there's been a neglect of the churches. And I really think that, that he needs to implement something with the churches. He did mention something like three to six months. We, we can start maybe get, uh, congregating. But three to six months, we're going to be back in flu season. And so what are they going to tell us? Oh, no, you can't, you can't meet again. So, so what are they doing? They're just kicking us along like a can. But we are an essential. We are meeting the needs of people physically, the homeless people. They come into our recovery homes. Uh, people come into our church. Uh, families come into our church. Uh, dysfunctional families come into our church. Abuse is up. You know, alcohol is up. All these things are up while people are staying home. And I believe that as a church, we, we meet those needs that, that a vaccine cannot meet in a very tangible way, how do you think this place comes back? I mean, do you have like a plan in your head as to how you can open the doors again, or is that yeah. still out there? You know, we've been praying. So it'll, it'll be through the guidelines, through social distancing. We can have a number of services. Right now I have a 10 a.m. and a 6 p.m. I can break that 10 a.m. congregation of, of 250 people into a 9 o'clock in the morning to 10.30 in the morning to a 1.30 in the afternoon and have them come in the groups of 40s or 50s with the distance, with the checking of the temperature, with the sanitation. And I believe that we'll be fine. But don't just tell us, no, we can't congregate when you got Walmart open, 
when you got Home Depot open, when you got uh, Walgreens open, when you got people working together in McDonald's, when you got, and they're doing the same thing with distance. So I believe we can do the same with, without stupidity, with wisdom. I don't think we should be neglected because we are an essential. Pastor Robert Chavez, thank you so much. Thank you for coming in and we appreciate the time that you gave to give us. The possible dangers of in-person religious services were apparent recently in Butte County. There, an individual who attended a prohibited Mother's Day religious service tested positive for COVID-19 the next day, possibly exposing 180 other people in the congregation to the virus. Governor Gavin Newsom says he's drafting guidelines and standards for television and film projects to resume production as California emerges from the pandemic shutdown. But Los Angeles County likely won't meet those standards at first, so Hollywood still won't be able to shoot in Hollywood. KQED Shannon Lynn reports. In an online forum, Governor Newsom told representatives from the entertainment industry that filming can likely resume in 53 out of 58 counties in California, but only if those counties can meet reopening criteria set by the state's public health department. To qualify, counties must meet hospital surge and testing capacity, and they can have no more than one new COVID-19 diagnosis per 10,000 people within two weeks of applying to reopen. And currently, according to Governor Newsom, Los Angeles County is not meeting these standards because of transmission rates there. It remains a, a, a challenging part of the state for us still. And so we are a little concerned they'll be a few weeks behind potentially everybody else. But industry analyst Paul Swanson says while Hollywood may be the epicenter of the entertainment industry, there's still a decent amount of production in surrounding rural counties like San Bernardino and Riverside, which could both reopen soon. If people are ready to go back into production, they can uh, find the people and, and have them transported out to where they want to actually shoot. Money will remain a key issue, says Swanson, as studios will now have to bear the cost of testing, protective equipment, and on-site medical staff. For the California Report, I'm Shannon Lynn. Every day this week, we've told you about how different interest groups are blasting Governor Newsom's May budget revision. This time, it's advocates for seniors. Yesterday, they said proposed cuts to programs serving the elderly and the disabled will put more people at risk for COVID-19. KQED politics reporter Katie Orr reports. Newsom's revised budget seeks to reduce or eliminate several programs that provide in-home assistance to seniors and the disabled. In California, nearly half of all COVID-19 deaths have occurred in nursing homes and assisted living facilities. Pat McGinnis is executive director of California Advocates for Nursing Home Reform. And yet while infections and deaths in nursing homes are increasing every day, the governor's proposed budget would eliminate or reduce the very programs that enable our elders and persons with disabilities to stay at home and out of nursing homes. McGinnis and her fellow advocates appear to have at least some support in the legislature. At a recent assembly budget hearing, several lawmakers were upset by the proposed cuts. That includes Santa Rosa Democrat Jim Wood. Right now, our nursing homes are having a hard time dealing with this crisis. It's the absolute wrong time create a bigger potential population to go into nursing homes. California must cut $54 billion to balance its budget because of the coronavirus. Newsom has said $14 billion of his proposed cuts could be eliminated if the federal government comes through with financial assistance for the state. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. 
The country's airlines got a big bailout from Congress last month, $25 billion in federal grants and loans. Some of that money was supposed to pay pilots and flight attendants while hardly anyone is flying. But many people whose work is critical to the airline industry aren't seeing a dime of all that money. They're subcontractors, janitors, maintenance workers, and caterers. KQED's Sam Harnett has a story of one airline cook at San Francisco International Airport. Antonio Vega takes pride in his work, especially the finishing touches. What I do, I, I put the, the food on the plate. So if you're putting, uh, let's say, uh, rice with vegetables and nice-looking salmon, then you got to throw some sauce on the top. If it looks good, the passenger is going to be very happy and more hungry when he sees the, the plate. Vega works in airline catering at SFO. He's been there nearly 40 years. How many meals do you think you've made? in your life. Ah, you're talking about millions. Millions and millions of meals, all carefully arranged into their little containers with the sauce put on top just so. Vega's raised four kids on the job, and he wants his catering company, Gate Gourmet, to do well. But that goodwill has become harder and harder to muster. I would say the last uh, 15 years or so, that company has been going very, very sour. Hmm. When I completed 35 years, they didn't send me no letter like, thank you for your hard work and dedication for your 35, nothing. Really, really, I don't know. I call him cheap. Back in the 80s, Vegas said the company paid for all of his health insurance, and it gave him two weeks of paid sick leave. Today, he has just four days of sick leave, and he pays hundreds of dollars a month for insurance that covers very little. Gate Gourmet employees are represented by Unite Here Local 2. But Vega, who's active in the union, says they often have to fight for over a year just to get a 25-cent raise. That feels like you're getting slapped. Slapped you in the face. And it's like, take what I offer or, you know, if you don't like it, go somewhere else. After four decades of work, Vega's hardly making any more than when he first started. Back in 1981, he got $6.20 an hour. If you adjust for inflation, that's about $17.60 an hour today. Now he says his position makes 19 bucks an hour. That's only $1.40 more than when he first started back in 1981. Meanwhile, the cost of living in the Bay Area is more than double what it was in the early 80s. The only way I made, I made it so far, I had to work so many hours. If I work uh, eight hours a day, I feel like I, I've been working on that day. Gourmet Gate declined a comment for this story. Vega says he wishes he worked directly for an airline, something that would have been way more common 40 or 50 years ago, when workers at companies were usually employees of the companies, not subcontracted out. They would treat you a lot uh, better than right here. With the pandemic, Vega's employer has shifted from making meals for airlines to catering for local nonprofits. There isn't much work right now, so Vega's only getting a few shifts a week. It's tight quarters in the kitchen, and he worries about catching coronavirus as a man in his 60s. But he has no choice. He has to work. For The California Report, I'm Sam Harnett. After a two-month closure over coronavirus concerns, Joshua Tree National Park reopened this week with some limits in place. While the park is a welcome day trip for Southern Californians who've been cooped up and want to get out for Memorial Day weekend, KCRW's Matt Gillum says locals near the park are conflicted about the impending influx of visitors. Sabre Purdy runs Cliffhanger Guides, a rock climbing expedition company near Joshua Tree National Park. And when stay-at-home orders went in place in March, it struck her business at the worst possible time. 
Well, typically, um, yeah, we do about 40% of our annual business in March and April. And so that was pretty much a total loss this year. Even though she misses the business income, Purdy also knows that Joshua Tree's limited infrastructure and medical resources would make it particularly vulnerable if there were a COVID-19 outbreak. She even led an online campaign, hashtag stay the f- home, telling out-of-towners to stay away. Normally, May 1st is the end of cliffhanger spring season because the heat makes it uncomfortable to climb. But Purdy is now weighing extending the season a few extra weeks to try to make a dent in the month's worth of losses. And unlike many other small businesses, she has the staff. Many are still on site and have been quarantining together. Cliffhanger needs the money, but she's still not sure if it's worth risking exposure for her and her employees. Just the risks of of interacting with people that are traveling to this space are, are still really high. And uh, it's a lot to ask of people to interact with folks so intimately. And if they do reopen, what will group rock climbing look like in the age of physical distancing? Whether or not the community wants visitors, they're going to come. Joshua Tree is among the most popular national parks in the country and saw nearly 3 million people pass through last year. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gilliam in Los Angeles. And about 400 miles north of Joshua Tree, there's another popular place to escape, Yosemite. The national park is still closed, but could partially reopen by early June. That's if the Interior Department signs off on a plan drafted by Yosemite Park officials. The plan includes a ban on shuttle buses running in Yosemite Valley, making some trails one way, and requiring reservations for day-use visitors. All of this to encourage social distancing while enjoying the great outdoors. Last year, more than 4 million people visited Yosemite. And that's the California Report for Thursday, May 21st, a production of KQED Public Radio. Remember, you can listen to the California Report podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It has news from both of our morning shows, like a story we aired today about a worker at San Francisco International Airport who isn't getting any help from the multi-billion dollar bailout of airlines. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Ideas for storing leftover paint to keep it fresh and tips for using it up can be found at... Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out the Bay Curious book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.